Our scripture lesson today comes from the letter of 1 John chapter 3. We'll be reading verse 11 and then verses 16 through 24. Hear God's word. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. When Isabella, our 15-year-old daughter, was about three years old, we lived in Mechanicsville, Virginia, just north of the James River. And our next-door neighbors came over one day when I was out in the yard. They were grandparents, and they said, Bob, does your daughter have a bicycle? And I said, no, she doesn't. She had the little scooter thing and all, but we had not gotten her a little bike yet. And they said, well, our granddaughter has outgrown the bike that we have in the garage for her. Could we give it to you for your daughter? And I said, sure. And so we accepted this cute little princess kind of bicycle, the teeny wheels and the plastic training wheels along the side, and Isabella enjoyed riding that for a good while. When she outgrew that cute little bike, I decided, didn't ask Melanie, but I decided that I would surprise Isabella with a brand new bike. So I went down to a local bike shop out in the West End, and I picked out the best one I could find. And it had the name brand of the fancy mountain bikes and all of that. And I paid for it, and I was so proud, took it home, and showed it to Isabella. Of course, she was really excited. And then Melanie pulled me aside a little later, and she said, how much did you pay for that bike? And when I told her, she said, couldn't you have gotten one just the same at Target for a lot less money? Uh, yes, but it wouldn't have been the same brand. And I went to try to explain my purchase. I wanted to get her the best. That's all I wanted to do. 
And as parents, oftentimes we do things like that. We make sacrifices because we want to give our kids the best. Often we want them to have things better than what we had when we were growing up. And even to this day, when Isabella looks at me with her big blue eyes and says, Dad, my wallet comes out and whatever it is that she needs. Jesus said something along these lines when he said, if we who are sinful or we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our God give good gifts to those who ask him? Our God is great. Our God is good. And our God is love. And the Christian community is the physical manifestation of that love as we love others as Christ has loved us. And this summer we've been focusing on strengthening our relationships with one another and building community by studying several passages in the New Testament that contain the phrase or include the phrase, one another. For example, you belong to one another. You forgive one another. You encourage one another. And last Sunday, Pastor Aaron preached from the passage in Hebrews that says, be hospitable to one another. And today's passage comes from 1 John 3, verse 11. You should love one another. As Christians, our, base, uh, the, our ethic is based on Christ alone. We are called to love one another as He has first loved us. Jesus is our example of how we are to treat one another. And if we treat one another like Jesus here in the church, uh, then we will be more likely to treat people outside of the church in the same way. Our love cannot be different in the church and out of the church. It needs to be consistently Christ-like all the time. And there there are a lot of examples that we see that we should not follow. Not the selfishness and greed in corporate America. Not trying to allow success in the corporate ladder to determine how we treat one another. Our example is not from the politicians in Washington, D.C. Our example is not from so-called friends on social media. People who can turn their back on us on a dime. Our example is not from people who have wrongly used their power to abuse the innocent and hurt others. Our example is not the anger and the rage that we have seen in El Paso, Dayton, Parkland, Pittsburgh, Las Vegas, Charlottesville, Charleston, and other cities and communities who have been victimized by hate and anger. Church, our example of loving one another is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus who said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is what the writer is telling us in 1 John, the epistle. He's pointing us back to the very beginning, the one who said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I believe that people will know that we are Christians when we love one another. They will see something different in us. And they will want to be part of what we have because we seem to treat people different than the rest of the world. They will know love when they see it. Maybe you remember the old song, hymn, they all know we are Christians by what? By our love. You know it. It's found in many hymnals and it's been sung by groups like Jars of Clay and For King and Country. 
For we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. The song also says, We pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know that we are Christians by our love. This hymn was first written in 1966 by Father Peter Schultz, a 30-year-old parish priest at St. Brendan Church on Chicago's south side. This was during tumultuous racial division during the 1960s. And he was searching for a song that his youth group at church could perform during an upcoming ecumenical interracial event. And finding no such words, he wrote, trust, he wrote, they'll know we are Christians by our love in one day. He penned it in one day. And the lyrics speak to unity and dignity, to walking hand in hand and working side by side, the result of which is that all will know that God is in our land. This must have been a powerful message proclaimed by the St. Brendan Youth Group during turbulent times, and it is certainly the message that needs to be proclaimed today. Father Schultz's hymn was inspired by this passage from John's Gospel, by everyone, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Larry quoted it earlier as he was here at the pulpit. This message is nestled in the 13th chapter of John, right between Jesus' predictions of both Judas and Peter's betrayals. Amidst and despite those heartbreaking final hours of his life, Jesus manages to call his disciples and us to rise above indignity and division and to instead love one another as I have loved you. One writer says these are still turbulent times and what our community and country and world needs most is for love to break through the division and the indignity. During these times, we may hear Jesus' call to love and allow that message to be the soundtrack of our hearts and the inspiration of our lives. Let's find the way, she says, to walk and work together so we will all know that God's love is in our land. May it begin with us as we, as His church, love one another. So what does it look like to love one another? Really? What does it look like? First, we need to understand a little bit more about the definition of love, and then I think we can unpack that. There are four different words used during New Testament times to translate into love. One of them is eros. That one is not found in the New Testament particularly, but in the New Testament language in that time. And eros love is an impulsive and sensual love to satisfy the desires of the flesh. There's another one that's used very uh, few, but it's stergo, the Greek, and it is translated to mean the kind of love that parents have for their children, which is a natural affection. I had stergo love when I went to the bike store to get Isabella's new bike and bring it home to her. There's also phileo love, brotherly love, which refers to friendship or mutual affection. Pastor Aaron preached from that uh, passage in Hebrews, which spoke about brotherly love, 
Philadelphia, brotherly love, loving one another in that way, in a, a friendship kind of way. And he also spoke about philoxenos, philoxenos, which is the love of strangers. And often we uh, think that there's a difference between loving one another and loving strangers. And Aaron helped us to see in the text that they're both the same. The love we have for one another is not to be any different than the love that we have for those outside of the church community. And then there's agape love. We have a Sunday school class called the agape class. Agape love. This refers to the love of God, the unconditional love of God, a deep admiration and appreciation for the other, a love with no boundaries or limits. It's the highest form of love. Agape love is the kind of love John is writing to us about. Jesus used it in the gospel, and John writes it here in this letter. We will focus on agape love. It's more than giving it's more focused on giving than receiving. Agape love loves without expectation. It loves without getting anything in return. Agape love is pure love. And how often do I love someone or do something out of love and expect accolades or uh, somebody to say something really nice or to give me something in return? Often we do that, but agape love is not that kind of love at all. So what does it look like to love one another, really? There, there are three ways I'd like for us to consider. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. The first is that our love is consistent in our belief and in our practice. Our beliefs and practices need to line up. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And then, this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So we, we must believe in Jesus Christ, we must have a theology and we also must have a practice. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Orthodoxy, our beliefs, our teachings, our understanding of who God is, and orthopraxy, uh, right practices that are consistent with that orthodoxy. Right faith, right practice. And then second, love looks, love of one another is visible when our head, heart, and hands are all on the same page, when they're all together. Our head is our intellectual understanding of who God is. A faith, it is uh, this head knowledge is a faith that focuses on right thinking, right beliefs, right doctrines. If we have our thinking straight about God, it, we, we assume that everything else will fall into place. The heart is the seat of the feelings and the affections and the emotions and the deep spiritual experiences. And here one mostly seeks to be moved emotionally and to have a greater awareness of the presence of God. Often this happens in worship here in the corporate worship or at home when we're having our quiet time. 
but it must not just stay in the heart. It must influence the mind and the hands. And then the hands are mostly faith through outward expressions such as witnessing, acts of kindness, justice and mercy, preaching, and humanitarian acts of service toward others. And these are wonderful, but if, if it's just the hands and the, the heart and the head are not also involved, then it's just a, a random act of kindness. And as Christian people, we know that the head, the heart, and the hands must all be influenced under the influence of God and work together. One writer, Dennis Hollinger, who's written a book called Head, Heart, Hands, says this, Our minds cannot be brought into harmony with God's designs without hearts that are near to God and actions that reflect God's ways. Our hearts cannot experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit without the knowledge of God to guide us and actions that reflect the fruit of the Spirit. And our actions of both proclamation and presence will wither without a theology to guide them and a heart to drive them and sustain them. He writes, head, heart, and hands must be together. That is the paradigm of God's Word. So, consistent belief and practices, same here on Sunday as through Monday and Saturday. And second, head, hearts, and hands lining together, guided by the Holy Spirit. And third, that we would embrace a love of one another with no strings attached. And this is not what some in the culture would say is a relationship with no commitment. Rather, this is a love with no strings attached, a love, an agape love that does not desire anything in return when it is offered. There are some who are easy to love, right? Some of our sweet saints are so easy to love. You know them. This past Friday, we celebrated the life of Eula Lucy here in the sanctuary. And not long before that, we celebrated David Souter's life. Two of our saints, whenever you would visit or I would visit them, they were easy to love. Wonderful Christian people. And then there are others who require some extra grace. You can think of people like this, maybe in your family or your circle of influence. One writer calls them prickly people and helps us through a book uh, called Loving, uh, to, to Love a Porcupine through a book he's written. And how do you love a porcupine? Very carefully. Right? And then there are others who are unloved, forgotten, and overlooked. We are called to love the people who are easy to love. And we are called to love the people who are prickly. We are also called to love the unloved, the forgotten, and the overlooked. And we need this reminder today, church, because this work is difficult, this work is messy, and it is uncomfortable. And we are still called to it. A lead... Weissel was a Holocaust survivor from the camps of Auschwitz and Birkenau. He died in 2016 after years as a professor, a prolific writer, and a political activist. And in his 1986 Nobel Peace Prize, the acceptance speech that he wrote, he says this, and it's at the end of his book called Night. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. I read it over vacation just a couple weeks ago. 
He writes, I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must at that moment become the center of the universe. And then he says, quote, human suffering anywhere concerns men and women everywhere. We must love with no strings attached. A nurse was working in a busy emergency room on one of her shifts, and an elderly man came in to have the stitches taken out of his hand. And he went up and checked in, and he said, I'm really in a hurry. I have an appointment in an hour. And he sat down, and things were taking a long time. The line wasn't moving very quickly. And the nurse, knowing that he had an appointment, went to him and was able to take him to an examination room. She looked at his wound and thought that it looked pretty good. And she went and talked to one of the doctors and got the permission to go ahead and remove the sutures and dress the wound and bandage it back up so that he could go on to his way. And, and uh, while uh, she was doing that, she said, what is your appointment? Do you have another uh, doctor's appointment or something? And he said, oh, no. He said, I have an appointment to have breakfast with my wife at the nursing home. I have breakfast with her every morning. What's her condition? The nurse asked. And the man said, she has Alzheimer's disease, and she hasn't recognized me in five years. And you still go every morning? to have breakfast with her even though she doesn't know who you are? And then the man gently placed his hand on the nurse's arm and said, oh, oh, you don't understand. She doesn't know me, but I still know her. Our motivation to love must not be what we can receive but what we can give. Loving for better or for worse, loving no matter what with no strings attached is how Christ loves us. And we are to do just the same for He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen.